Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Live from Las Vegas, it's time for you to be Talking Movies with America's most award-winning film critic, John Barber. You're being, John, you're being so gentle. I've heard you give reviews and you're so rough, you're saying. <laughs> How would you have evaluated your own work uh, in some of the films that you did prior to, uh, <laughs> prior to The Longest Shot? I mean, Much like... better than you, my friend. <laughs> Our next guest is one of those rare talents who has something to say and can say it funny. He's a writer-performer on the new Laugh-In and one of the most popular, outspoken, and entertaining personalities on the local news here in Los Angeles. He's won a half a dozen Emmys as a film critic and host of his own shows. Let's welcome Mr. John Barber, right over there. Hi again, this is John Barber, and welcome to Talking Movies. And a very, very special edition with a fantastic actress and actress and activist that I've been wanting to talk to for a very, very long time. Doug, how are you today? Me, Sally? No, Doug, I'm talking to Doug. I'm doing wonderfully well. Thank you, John. Well, I'm glad you are. What's the temperature like in uh, Texas? It's way too hot. 91 right now, probably reach over 100 today. It takes a lot of getting used to. Well, it's uh, Vegas here, 107, 109 for the last couple of days. Really hot. But this show is about to get a lot hotter because of our wonderful, wonderful guest. She is an Academy Award uh, nominee. She is a Golden Globe winner, won dozens of acting awards and in the 80s the LA Times said she was one of the greatest actresses of her generation. She has been in over 250 films and television shows and I must tell you Doug that her life itself would make a much more interesting movie than a lot of the great characters that she's played or even a 10 parts miniseries. So I am delighted and honored to finally have her here, Sally Kirkland. Sally, how are you today? And thank you so much for being here. I'm great. Um, let's see, the host has spotlighted your video. So can you hear me, John? Oh my gosh, not only can I hear that great voice, I see that beautiful blonde hair. So oh. there, there you go. Where are you and how are you? Well, I'm doing great physically mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And I'm sitting in my apartment in West Hollywood. Um, Later on, when we talk, I'll move the uh, computer over to my art gallery and show you some of my art. But I'm surrounded by my art. Very peaceful, very happy, and very happy to do this with you. Oh, I am so honored. So, Sally, if we were going to make a movie of your life, how would the beginning start? Uh, tell me where you were born, what your parents were like, um, 
what did you have siblings what your early dreams were like did you always wish to be an actress and if so what were the movies or the tv shows or the female stars that inspired you the platform is yours okay well i was brought up in uh, east manhattan near the uh the uh, east river on 75th street and uh only child uh, my mother was cesarean. I was born at six months old instead of nine. Wow. Um, and the doctor said to her, or my father, you have to choose between your mother and daughter because we can't save both of them. So he said, uh, well, obviously I choose my wife. And uh, then lo and behold, we were both okay. So um, I'm very grateful that uh, my mother Ah, in spite of all difficulties, um, was my mother. My mother was fashion editor of Vogue magazine when I was born, and she remained so until around 1949 when she went over to Life magazine and was the um, first and only fashion editor of Life from 49 to 69. So I was brought up with major models in the kitchen getting coffee, outrageously beautiful women that my mother had picked to have photographed in all of her glamorous clothes. My mother in 1951 uh, won the Medal of Solidarity from the Italian government for being the first person to bring Italian fashions to America. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so I had a very glamorous childhood. And (laughs) And wasn't uh, your mother... The first person in America to put the Beatles on the cover? Yeah, with a little help from me. Um, she didn't really know who the Beatles were. And I, as her daughter, I was allowed to go what was called the Tower and be there with all the senior editors, of which she was one, and to pick the cover of life. And um, they didn't, they, she said to me, Who are the mop heads? And I said, <laughs> oh, don't, don't tell your kids that because everybody knows the mop heads are the Beatles, just put them on the cover. And so she rather embarrassed said, okay, young Sally, we will do that. So it was the first American uh, publicity that I believe the Beatles got. Oh and, my uh, God. Like, like mother, like daughter, how old were um, you when you made that suggestion? It was, uh, well, what year was it that the Beatles came over here? Um, I must've been, um, Mid fifties, I guess. What's it? Yeah, something like that. I was somewhere in my uh, early or middle twenties, and I'm thinking early. And um, yeah, in terms of the Beatles, I got to know Ringo quite well, and he asked me because by that time I was an ordained minister. He asked me if I would marry his best his road manager to his fiance. And I did. And I said to Ringo before the ceremony, uh, purple is the highest color you can see or have around you spiritually. And sure enough, when I was marrying his road manager to uh, the road manager's fiance, two purple butterflies flew in and twined and flew off together. So, Ringo Oh, my God. Well, hang on a minute. You became yeah. an ordained minister before you became an actress? No. Oh, no, no, you... not quite. Not quite, John. I became an actress in 1960 or 61. 
I got ordained in 1976. Okay. We'll get to the business of being ordained in 76 and the reason why, because there's so much to talk to you about. Now, what didn't you first begin as a model? Uh, as a child model, because of my mother, um, I did all the runway modeling. Um, I did some uh, photographic modeling in Life magazine, in Vogue, and in Look magazine when I was very young, maybe 10 or 11 years old. Um, there's one picture that was outstanding in Vogue when I was younger than that. I don't know, seven or eight, taken by oh. Irving Penn. And Irving Penn was considered the greatest photographer in America at that time. And what so, did your father do, dear? Uh, say that again, John. What did your father do? My father was in scrap metals, completely different from my mother. Oh, my goodness gracious. What a contrast. So uh -huh. what was it that inspired you to become an actress or who was it? What movies or actresses had the greatest impact on you around 60 or 61 when you decided to become an actress? Well, prior, John, prior to 1961, I fell in love with Elizabeth Taylor in the film National Velvet, where she plays a youngster in love with her oh, horse. Gosh. And um, so that's what inspired me. My mother's name was Sally Kirkland, and she named me Sally. So I had a terrible identity crisis. So I decided that she was very famous because of the fashion industry, that I would be even more famous if I became an actress. So that's why that happened. In New York City, uh, where a lot of young actresses went, a lot of them tried to get into the actor's studio. Did you do that too? Yes, but before I got into the actor's studio, I was a private student of Lee Strasberg, who was the head of the actor's studio from 1961 on. And then I auditioned in 1964, uh, the same year Al Pacino did, uh, with a young man named Care Delay, Space Odyssey 2000. Yes. And I got in and uh, I flunked mathematics. But 1964, I must have been um, early 20s. And so I was one of the youngest people to ever get in. The Are you, okay, okay, so it's Care Delay, it's Al Pacino. Were there others who became famous who were in that class? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, um, a, a, a couple years later, I was dating Robert De Niro, and he told me he was studying with, uh, well, I'm having a senior moment, um, famous, famous female teacher. I'll think of it in a while. Anyway, I said, you should come to the actor's studio. And he said, well, how, did you, how do I do that? And I said, you do an audition with me. And we get you something called a working observership. Anyway, he did everything I said, and he became a member. So in that class, uh, the the legendary people that were there already was Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward and Rip Torn and, um, you know, um, Geraldine Page. Well, well, you're in this class. Now, you're yeah. all relatively unknown. Did you think any of them would become as famous as they did? Oh, no. Those people were already famous. My generation, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, 
Dustin Hoffman and Kara DeLay, we were all unknown in the early 60s. But um, as you know, uh, De Niro became famous with uh, going on in the as taxi driver in Mean Streets. Um, Do you think if he had not been a friend of Marty Scorsese's that he would have been that successful? And he was absolutely wonder- wonderful in those films. Yeah. Um, and how, long, how long did you date him? And was he, could he talk? Was he a conversationalist? No, no, he was very shy. And when we were dating, he would look down at his feet all the time uh, when he was listening to me and talking to me. He was extremely shy. Um, and, and why do you think he became an actor? Or what would have inspired him other than you to encourage him to become an actor? Well, his mother um, was very artistic and she was very political, actually. Um, I think she was a socialist, but she, she, I don't think she was an actress. She was a painter and his father was a painter. His father uh, and his mother separated when he was young. And I remember he lived on 14th Street, New York, on like the 18th floor or someplace very, very high up. And um, I went to his apartment with him one day. And for whatever reason, I went in his walk-in closet and he must have had 40 hats, (laughs) all different hats. So I figured he was going to be a character actor, that he didn't really like to be himself. He liked to transform himself. And when we were both in Lee Strasberg's class, we did a scene together called The Boob Tube, uh, written by William Inge. And um, Lee Strasberg said, if you put Robert De Niro's ability to be a character together with Sally Kirkland's vulnerability, you would be the perfect actor. Oh, my gosh. Well, the reason I asked that question, does the name Freddie Weintraub ring a bell to you? Yeah, why? Well, Freddie uh, Weintraub owned the bitter end. Yeah, uh, and I was the waitress there. Oh, you were? Well, <laughs> Freddie and I were closest friends for for years. Uh, he is the fellow that brought, uh, he discovered Bruce Lee. He brought Woodstock to Warner Brothers, and he became my partner when I did the first Garrison tape. So we were really close. And a couple of times, I guess it was in the mid-60s uh, or late 60s, uh, uh, Freddie invited my wife and I uh, to his house. And Bobby De Niro was there and dating Freddie's uh daughter i guess he had parted company with you at the time and i sat next to him tries and tried to talk to him he never spoke right and then he would come to a jazz club on uh, lancashire boulevard where i was working on material when i was a stand-up doing the merv griffin show and he would applaud and laugh and i'd go over and talk to him he couldn't talk so you know i'm stunned as an actor, especially doing heavy parts, he was brilliant. So I've got to ask you this question. What was your thought? I guess it was about five years ago at the Tony Awards. Do you remember the Tony Awards? Well, sure, but I don't know if I remember five years ago. Oh, okay. He, do you remember what he said on the air in his acceptance speech to Donald Trump? Well, I know he's always hated Donald Trump. What did he say? <laughs> He said, fuck you, Donald Trump. 
now right for, for me uh, for me and i'm no fan of donald trump's either but for me that sort of gave me the the final feeling that you know a lot of actors need writers you know and yeah. and for me it sort of destroyed his outstanding work i have a difficult time watching him now just because i wish he had kept that out of it so now okay the first time i think i heard about you was again i think it was in the mid 60s as a matter of fact it was sort of like national newspaper headline i think you were in an andy warhol production and i think you sat in a chair no no you're you're mixing up two things Okay. I was I was one of Andy Warhol's quote unquote thirteen most beautiful women. Uh, that was nineteen sixty four, maybe came out sixty five. But Sweet Eros, a play in nineteen sixty eight in New York off Broadway, I sat in a chair for forty five minutes, nude, having a nervous breakdown with the tears streaming down my face. Uh, my co star was Robert Dreyfus, who unfortunately is in heaven now. But um, that got a lot of attention because I was the first nude actress in American theater. I believe in England, Judy Dench did the same thing. Oh, my gosh, you're kidding. So the two of us were the very first to do that. Now, uh, was 13 Most Beautiful Women your first film? Sort of, yes. Not really. I can't remember the name of it, but my first film was in 1961. I had a really, really small part and then jumped to 1964, Andy Warhol. And um, and then from that point on until now, I think it's something like 270 films and television shows. Oh, wow. Absolutely magnificent. Okay. What did your father and mother think about you being the first nude woman on stage in America? My mother loved it. Um, and she was very liberal and um, like she was the first person in the fashion industry to um, advertise the no bra look, uh, the mini skirt and sports look for women. So she was always ahead of her time. My father, his family were embarrassed and upset. They came from mainline Philadelphia and they wished I never did it. In the 60s, it seemed to be the beginning, both in New York and in California. It seemed that seemed to be the time when drugs were sweeping the younger generation. And I hate to ask you, but it's necessary. Did you get involved with drugs at the time? Yes, um, a lot of marijuana and and two uh, LSD trips. Uh, one with a doctor where they were experimenting on me and the other, what I call street drugs, street LSD, which was bad. And it caused a, a sort of a, a small nervous breakdown. Um, yeah, I did drugs like everyone was doing drugs. I never did heroin. I only did cocaine once in my life. And that was in 1975 with Bob Dylan. But for the most part, I did drugs up until 1969, when I was ordained a minister in the Church of the Movement of Spiritual Inner Awareness. And of course, I had to give up all drugs in order for that to happen. Um, 
I was never, you know, like I said, I didn't do cocaine or heroin or anything like that. But Rip Torn, who I was dating in 1966, uh, turned me on to marijuana a lot. And so I did that a lot with him. How many years did you do it? Just a few years? Um, no, I, I did marijuana a lot in the early and like I said, middle 60s. However, in 1966, uh, Rip Torn had told me that he and Geraldine Page were legally separated. And so I thought it was fine to be dating him. But I ran into her at the actor's studio and she said, you know, I know you're having an affair with my husband and I really think you should stop this, Sally. Well, I was horrified because I had been told by him that he was legally separated. But that led me to have a nervous breakdown along with being at a play called Fits and Bas- Biscuit with Sam Waterston that opened and closed in one night. Wow. Um, because the actors went on strike then. And uh, so I had this breakdown and I ended up in Payne Whitney Hospital having taken 60 Nebutol and 40 Codeine. Hold it. If you took that much, I hate to again ask this because it seems to be an epidemic in America and it certainly is here in Las Vegas. This past week, we had a series on the local news about teenagers committing suicide. And of course, since uh, the lockdown from COVID and what's going on politically in this country, the younger generation and even the older generation are becoming severely depressed. A lot of increases in suicide. You're taking that. Was that a suicide attempt? Oh, definitely. Um, Like I said, uh, Rip Torn broke my heart. And my career came to a stop at that point. And uh, I, um, yeah, I, I hadn't yet gotten on a spiritual path. That happened in 1969. So I got very, very, very depressed. And like I said, I had a nervous breakdown. And um, I tried. I tried to kill myself. The doctors at the hospital I was taken to said that it was a sheer miracle that I was alive. Um, God, your birth was a miracle, and now your life is a miracle. Oh, thank you, John. So what led you to this spiritual awakening? When I, I had a life after life experience after the suicide attempt, and I was there with Jesus Christ, and um, I was very ecstatic and very happy when I was experiencing the life after life experience. And he, and he said, you know, Sally, you must go back into your body. And I said, no, 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 I want to stay here. I feel so happy and bliss. And he said, uh, no, you've got to go back and tell your friends about the other side, that the other side exists. And I said, no, 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 I've got to stay here. I don't want to go back. And he said, you, you really must. Your, your soul is saying that you must go back. And so, however that works, I came back into my body. I was on a suicide watch for 13 days, which they make you do legally in America. Wow. And then after that, I was never the same again, John. I had had this experience, which was spiritual. And from that point on, I was not the same Sally. Now you come back, Sally. And you end up 
you're gone about four years, but you begin to end up starting to make movies. Now, was that something that you were able to do on your own? Or did you meet a terrific agent or manager who said, hey, you're just too good and too beautiful, not just to be sitting around and preaching? How did the resurgence into film start? Let me remember. Well, like I said, um, Andy Warhol was the first person to put a camera on me where it was really, really, really exciting. I had done a couple of films before that where I had bit parts and that was okay. I was getting my feet wet. But the thing with Andy Warhol at the time was very well known and seen by many people. And um, so I wanted to do more. But like I said, I got involved with drugs. And so by 1966, I was, you know, just hanging in there with myself. By 1969, um, I did a part opposite Rip Torn, which was interesting because I had been dating him in the middle 60s. You know what? It sounds like you're dating everyone. Rip Torn, Bob Dylan, Robert De Niro. Bob Dylan, I didn't start dating to... uh, 1975. Oh, okay. Wow. You were in great company and they were in great company. And and Dylan, at that time, he took a little dope too? Yeah. uh, And I had never had, uh, what's it called? Uh, I just mentioned it before. There's marijuana. There's Cocaine. Cocaine. The one and only time I had cocaine. And I was just at that time, uh, I had been on this spiritual path since uh, 1969. And we were told we could not be ministers and do drugs of any kind. And so when, when, when I was so involved emotionally and sexually with Bob, um, I was told by the spiritual director of my church, John Roger, I could not do both. I could not become ordained and do marijuana or cocaine or whatnot. So I told that to Bob and he said, well, I think it's fabulous that you're going to be an ordained minister in your church. Um, I I agree. No more. I won't support you in doing this with me. Um, We'll just we'll be friends, but we won't do that. And so he was, he was uh, incredibly supportive of me going from being a, you know, user. <laughs> oh my uh, gosh. Well, when you were recovering from the suicide attempt, I believe one of the things that you also did, because aside from your spiritual reawakening, you became interested in painting. How did that happen? Actually, I started drawing uh, with magic markers when I was 10 or 11, 12. And I went to, and in my high school, I was an art major. I didn't go to college, but I went to the Art Students League, the National Academy of Design. And there was one other, the Art Students League. There's three art schools I went to. And I lived in the village and various painters sold their artwork out on the streets of Greenwich Village. So I did that. I sold my art for maybe $25 or $30 in these um, magic marker paintings and watercolors with acetate around them. 
I had a, I don't know what you call them. They're like a stand that you can hang your, your, your paintings on. And so I, I made quite a bit of money doing that uh, in the village in my early 20s. Um, but I'd always been drawing since I was 10 years old. So it started then. And my mother was very supportive of that. And my father's family, they did not want me. My mother was fine, but my father's family didn't want me to be an actress. To them, they thought that was to be a whore. Um, Oops. Yeah. (laughs) My mother was incredibly supportive of it. And she always loved my art. Uh, She was so supportive of me painting. Um, And she, being the fashion editor of Vogue and Life, was surrounded by beauty all the time and by color and design designers, you know. How lucky of you to have a mother like that and how lucky of her to have a daughter like you. But this now brings me to another sensitive subject that I don't like to talk on, but you're just so interesting. You were a beautiful model, a young, beautiful, sexually active woman. You're going to get into movies and a number of women attractive like you had breast implants. I mean, there was Jane Fonda and Dolly Parton and a whole bunch of others. Did you do such a thing? Yeah. When was it? Um, Much later. um, My film, Anna, I knew there was going to be a nude scene in the bathtub. So I, 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 in actuality, I was in France and I had a motorcycle accident and I was taken to um, a hospital on the border of France and Switzerland. And I had uh, lacerations all over my face. Oh, my. And, and in my hands. And the doctor, uh, you know, handled it all. But I said, well, while you're doing physical, uh, what do you call it? Um, Reconstruction. What? Physical reconstruction, I guess. Yeah. While you're doing that, would you mind putting in some small implants? <laughs> Why just small? <laughs> well, because I'm going to tell you. So I knew I had this film coming up, Anna, and I didn't want to suddenly do anything drastic. I just wanted so it was almost unnoticeable. But that was my first nudity with small implants. And then my very next film was called High Stakes, where I played a stripper and um, uh what do you call it? Um, a call girl. Oh my. And I went back to the same doctor and I said, would you make me bigger? So he put two implants in each oh. breast oh. and I became 38 double D. Oh my gosh. Oh my. I, I stayed that way uh, until um, I got really, really sick um, from what's called silicone poisoning. I was in a car accident and the right breast got ripped and the silicone was all over my, in my blood and um, a lot of pain. And I immediately went to the hospital and entertainment tonight showed it before and after I had them taken out. And I remember, I remember saying on NBC that people, I was in a wheelchair and I was all bandaged up. I said, women come to me and they say, Oh, you're so beautiful. I want to look just like you. And I said, no, you don't. Because <laughs> it hurts too much. Oh, my God. Well, you know, I want to get to the beginning 
of the 70s because you had a wonderful run, I think, between around 73 and 75 when you were in three absolutely fabulous movies. I think uh, The Way We Were, The Sting, and A Star Is Born. So tell me how The Way We Were came about, what it was like working with, uh, I guess it was Robert Redford and Barbara Streisand. Tell us about how that came about. Okay. Um, remind me, you wanted to know about The Way We Were, The Sting. What was the third? Uh, uh, a Star Is Born. Okay. Also, probably Private Benjamin. Um, yes, yes, you were wonderful in Private Benjamin. Very small part. I played a lesbian, which no one ever did. Um, but the way we were, the moment, the most famous casting director in the country was a woman named Marion Dougherty, and she applauded amazingly. She really applauded my work off Broadway, and so she brought me to her office, and she had me read for this film the way we were and um i uh let me think who directed that sydney pollock she actually put me in the film i didn't even have to audition and um, at the time i was complete fan of barbara's and i had been since she began and she and i were the same age so she became my role model and um i remember one scene in new york Barbara and I were walking down the street on the west side and we bumped into each other somehow and our earring fell off. And I remember her saying, I like you. You're a klutz just like me. <laughs> in a New York accent. Well, and, you, uh, you started in the actor's studio with Lee Strasberg, but I think at one time later in your life, didn't you create your own acting studio? I think in Hollywood and wasn't Barbara one of your uh, one of your students and Sandra Bullock and I think even Roseanne Barr. How did that happen? Okay, well, I did coach Roseanne, and I did um, coach at the very beginning of her career Sandy Bullock, um, and encourage her when she wanted to quit. And I taught her everything I knew. <clears throat> why? Why did she want to quit? Um, I don't know. Darn it, I'm losing my voice. I'm going to take you to the kitchen where I'm going to boil some water. Oh, pleasure. Is that some of your artwork behind you? Yeah. Here. Oh, my God. It's just stunning. Oh, thank you, honey. Oh, my God. Go get yourself some water, dear. A tea. Tea. Um, Green tea. You won't see me for a second. Oh, that's your voice. Can you can you hear me? Uh, even though I won't see you, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you very very well. So okay. can we still chat while you cook? I'm gonna make a tea. Um, very smart. So um, anyway, Robert Redford got me the part in the sting. Um, I remember when I got choreographed um, for my strip tease. In the sting, um, Robert Redford was in the wings of the theater where we were rehearsing it before shooting it, and he was laughing. And in the film, I don't know if you remember, he was holding flowers for me in a champagne bottle. Yes, and he was laughing away, and he came up to me at the break before we actually filmed it, 
And he and he was looking down at his shoes, much like De Niro always did. And he said, where did you learn to do that? And I said, well, when I was like 18 and they weren't breaking down the door to hire me, I was a twister at the Peppermint Lounge. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I had on an eeny weeny bikini. And I remember a lot of the mob, a lot of the uh, gangsters in New York, they would hang out there at the Peppermint Lounge and they would throw $50 bills at my feet. Oh, my goodness and, um, gracious. So that's sort of where I started dancing. And I also studied with a man named um, Danny Negrin, who was a top jazz uh, dance teacher in New York. And um, I, uh, <clears throat> like I said, I studied at a very young age, maybe starting in freshman year in high school. And um, I was really good dancing. I couldn't sing as well as I wanted to. So I focused on dancing. And anyway, um, hold on a sec. Okay. Oh, my gosh. You are so... We talking about the way we were. Quick story. Yes. Um, what, what was the third film? The Sting, The Way We Were? And then A Star is Born. Oh, yeah. Barbara likes me. So she asked to have me in the film A Star is Born. Please forgive my voice. Oh, okay. my gosh. It's really interesting. <laughs> um, if, if, I, if it gets to the point where I lose my voice, we'll have to end this and pick up another time. But I'm boiling water from my throat. Um, we'll make it, Angel. Okay, so so I was very lucky. I, I I had small roles in three of the, you know, The Sting was the best film of the year and got the Oscar for the best film. I wouldn't be surprised if the way we were didn't also. Um, I I played a small role in Private Benjamin, and at the time, no one my age really was dying to play a lesbian, but I did. I played a lesbian. <clears throat> in a scene with Eileen Brennan. And um, so that was great. And and then there was another film you talked about, The Way We Were, The Sting. And then, uh, and then, of course, Private Benjamin, which you mentioned. Now I want to get to the one that was really blockbuster movie. It was so good. You, you were absolutely and totally outstanding. You got an Academy Award nomination for it. And after seeing it, that's when the L.A. Times said that you, my dear, were one of the greatest actresses of the generation. And that was, I believe, 1989. And the film was called Anna. And Anna is about a Polish actress. So Czechoslovakian actress. So why did it become an American-made film? And how come they picked you and not a European actress? Well, it's a very good question. Um, uh, by the way, I also won for that. I won the Golden Globe. Yes, you did. Independent Spirit Award. Yeah. L.A. Film Critics Award. Um, and the Women in Film Award for the film. Um, they thought about casting this woman, El Spieta, which it was loosely based on. She's Polish. Um, but they decided they didn't want to go that route. And they changed the part to be Czechoslovakian because I think she was threatening to sue. And uh, the director was Polish, Jurek Bogajewicz. Um, My co-star was Czechoslovakian, 
Paulina Poriskova. And um, yeah, I just got lucky. Um, they, the, the woman who cast it, Caroline Sinclair, I think it was her, it was Caroline somebody, she really pushed hard for me and talked them out of doing a European actress. And um, I remember thinking that the director and the writer, Ineshka Holland, had written me a love letter. I mean, it was the greatest fil- film part I ever could hope to have. And I would say, my name is Anna Rokova. I come from Prague, Czechoslovakia. What you want? I don't want to talk about my personal life. You give me the script. I've been acting for 25 years. <laughs> How wonderful. <laughs> oh, my God. Angel, you were absolutely, you just exploded off the screen. You were so good. Oh, thank you, John. Oh, I mean, you deserved it all. Um, And yet you ended up, after something like that, I think you ended up in a couple of soap operas, didn't you? I think Valley of the Dolls or Days of Our Lives or something. Both of them, both of them. Um, I mean, I did a lot of other films, too. But yeah, I actually did 160 or so episodes of uh, Valley of the Dolls and close to 60 episodes of Days of Our Lives, if not more. Um, did did that disappoint you that you were in television, even though, you know, millions of more people would see and enjoy you in television rather than in a film? But uh, if being in a film would seem to make you more of a more important actress. Did that disappoint you at all? Did it what? To me Did at it all? disappoint you at all that you ended up in television when after Anna, you should have been a megastar in a lot of American films. I can see you in Gloria. I can see you in, you know, so many other, Alice doesn't live here anymore. I can see you in a bunch of other films. But I didn't, well, I didn't uh, see you. One that equaled that now. Oh, my gosh, almighty. There are two movies. I think there's one. It was a really good movie about this business itself. It was called The Player. And you got to play yourself. Yeah, we all, a lot of us who were with William Morris, we played ourselves. Um, and uh, that was fun. Uh, Robert Altman, I always wanted to do something with Robert Altman. I didn't get to play a big role with him, but I got to be myself with him. Yeah. And then uh, you were, he he was in the beginning just a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. Canadian uh, comic named uh, Jim Carrey. Yeah, I got to be with him. Bruce Almighty, that was Almighty. Yeah. Tell me about it. Okay, hold on. I'm getting my tea from my throat. (laughs) This is Um, fun. Bruce, Bruce Almighty. An interesting thing happened. Um, There used to be this casting director in my uh, building here in West Hollywood. And I didn't know him very well, but I knew him to say hello in the elevator. And um, one day I was in the elevator with him and he said, oh, Sally, it's nice to see you. Uh, We're doing a production uh, called Bruce Almighty. And we sent out a breakdown today looking for a Sally Kirkland type. (laughs) And I said, why are you looking for a Sally Kirkland type? I'll play it. 
And he said, you're kidding me. It's too small a role. And I said, nothing is too small to work with, with, uh, you know, Jim Carrey. And he said, I don't believe it. You're going to play the Sally Kirkland type. And I said, yes. So that's how that began. And then um, when I was shooting with, with Jim Carrey, we instantly fell in love with each other. And there was a scene that was cut out, unfortunately, where I was telling him about falling in love with my sister's boyfriend and, and sleeping with him and doing everything that you don't do. And the tears were streaming down my face. And, and, and after they yelled cut, Jim Carrey took me by the hands and brought me to the back of the, um, uh, I don't know what you call it, but it's a, it's like a, a restaurant, but it's not a restaurant. It's some, a cafe of sorts. And he just sat there looking at me and didn't say anything until tears started coming down his face. And what I got from that was that he really tapped into his soul, his heart and soul, and wanted me to know that he understood me emotionally and spiritually as well as, as, as a good actor, you know. And um, so we instantly bonded and... Uh, I had a great time working with him. You remember he was going to, my, my part, the waitress, I was bringing him my own homemade tomato soup and he playing God was going to part the tomato soup like Jesus, you know, <laughs> with the waters. Yes. So that was wonderful. And um, I did do quite a bit of films that, that generation, didn't I? Yes. Okay. Now you take a sip of your tea now. Well, yeah. I'm, going to slowly ask you this next question so you can sit down. Make sure it's not too hot. It is hot, but I got a little bit of my voice. Okay, there you go, Angel. That's wonderful. Okay. Okay. Here's a very small but important part you played in, I think, the only truly important movie ever made in America. And what I call important is somebody that some film or book or work of art that changes or improves society. And that movie was Oliver Stone's JFK. Yeah. And you played the character of Rose Cheremy. Do you want to tell me how that came about? What was it like working with Oliver? What were your thoughts on the subject that he was covering, which was the life of Jim Garrison played by Kevin Costner and what happened to Rose Jeremy? So there you go. I don't know how great I'll be at remembering detail on this, but um, how I got sounds the, better already. Uh, how I got the part is um, well, my mom was friends with Jack and Jackie Kennedy, um, and she was a senior editor of Life, who would be responsible for putting both of them on the cover of Life um, numerous times, and. Uh, so when it was announced that JFK was going to be made by Oliver Stone, um, I went crazy. I mean, I was friends with Oliver. I used to give these big Hollywood parties and Oliver loved to come and meet all the gorgeous women. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew him. I taught acting in Venice, California, and Oliver would come and talk to all my 25 students. So I felt totally, um, you know, without fear. And calling him up and saying, Oliver, I've got to be in JFK. And he said, oh, Sally, I'm so sorry. It's totally cast. 
um, you know, you would have been the sissy. Uh, who was it? Sissy Spacek? Who was it that did the ingenue? Um, it's either Sally Field or Sissy Spacek, one of the two, who was in JFK. Do you remember? No, no. Okay. I only, only remember you as Rose Cherry. <laughs> okay, so he, he apologized for that. And I said, well, you're, you're Oliver Stone. Surely you can write something for me. And he said, okay, okay, Sally, I'll think about it. Three days later, I get a phone call from Oliver and he said, Sally, would you come to my studio in Venice and improvise three different women for me? And I said, sure. And he said, I'll give you a hint ahead of time. One was Dorothy Kilgallen, who was an incredible um, reporter. One was Karen Cupsonet, the daughter of Irv Cupsonet. Oh, my God who was an actress, and, and of course, he was the top talk show host in Chicago. And, and she was, was murdered. Uh, what? And Karen was murdered. Yeah. All of them were murdered. Dorothy killed Yes. yes. Uh, Karen. And, and the third was Rose Sheremy, who worked for Jack Ruby and was a call girl and a drug runner and was bringing up her kid alone. Um, I didn't know too much about her or anything, but I said, sure. So I went to his studio. I had an eeny weeny bikini underneath a skirt and blouse underneath a jacket. So I did the, um, uh, I had very emotional tears streaming down my face. I, I did Dorothy Kilgallen with the jacket. Then I took that off and I did Karen, uh, cups in it with the blouse and the skirt. Then I took everything off and I had an eeny weeny bikini. Um, and because she was a dancer also, I, I said, it's okay if I play music and I put my uh, my um, ghetto blaster on and I started dancing very sexy in this bikini. And after and, I, and again, I got the tears streaming down my face. And afterwards, uh, Oliver Stone said, how did you do that? And I said, well, I've always been, you know, I love to take my clothes off. First nude actress, all of that. And I studied with Lee Strasberg for years and years and years. So I learned how to cry on cue. So he was amazed and he said, well, I want you to play the part of Rose Jeremy. I'm going to have my staff fax you lots and lots of information about her. And I don't remember what exactly those pages said, but every day I would get another fax from Oliver Stone's staff. So it was quite important to him. And he said, we're going to shoot you first, the first day in the film. So I'm going to send you your ticket to Dallas and, um, you'll check into the hotel and we'll be in touch with you shooting the next morning. So um, I got some kind of a letter that I was supposed to sign saying I wouldn't talk about JFK at all because as he explained to me, he was getting death threats. And so I didn't talk about it and I showed up for work. And the first scene they did was when Rose Jeremy is thrown out of a car with the various uh, gangsters and she's screaming, you fucking asshole. (laughs) <laughs> and there I am on this dirt road again with tears and screaming at them. And then they have a shot of Jackie Kennedy coming down the stairs of, of the plane. Next thing you know, they, they see you see me in, in the hospital with bandages over my head and, and I'm crying and I'm saying they're going to kill the, the president or something like that. Yes, indeed. And, and when we shot it, Oliver said, how do you want to shoot? Um, the hospital scene. And I said, it would really help me out as a method actor. If you had your crew before the actual 
film uh, stare me down in a gurney in the hospital hallways and let me cry and get emotional and then stare me right into the room where the actors are, the press and the doctors. And, And I said, Oliver, please shoot the rehearsal. I'm a stage actress. So I'm always best when I'm doing it for the first time. So he said, sure. So he, he warned the crew, but he didn't tell the actors. And we did it. We, they, ha- they got me down the, in the gurney down the hallway. They brought me into the hospital. Uh, or they, I switched to the hospital scene. And like I said, I'm screaming they're going to kill the president. But, but the actors thought it was a rehearsal, but it was the real thing. And he shot it in six mil- five millimeter, six millimeter. Uh, what was it? 15, 16 and uh, 35 millimeter in black and white and color. And that's the way Oliver worked. He would do everything in one shot, five millimeters, 16, 35, something like that. Wow. Color and black and white. Um, and and then um, what was your other movie you want me to talk about? No, it was that one. Uh, uh, was your the body that was found on the highway in Texas? Yeah. Yeah. Was that you lying there also? Yeah. I I must tell you, it is indeed the most important movie ever made in this country because it resulted in the passing of the JFK Records Assassinations Act, which Congress has avoided because they were supposed to release all the files a couple of years ago. So in that respect, I'm a monumental fan of that film of Oliver and especially every actor who was in that film. And that scene with you is just every scene in that, every scene in that movie just explodes off the screen. And you were indeed wonderful. So Sally, the last couple of final words, we're going to have to continue to do some more. You're so interesting. And, And you've got a lot more tea left. So, but, uh, what? I just have to add one thing about Rose Jeremy. Yes. Uh, Newsweek, and in this moment, I can't remember his name. He was the most famous film critic of like Newsweek, Time Magazine, that kind of thing. He said, Rose Jeremy in the film is the, the, the scene about Rose Jeremy is the best thing in JFK. Oh my gosh. How he put that in Newsweek. Oh, how interesting is that? And good for you. So right now, you're still painting. Yeah. And, uh, are you involved in some kind of health uh, gatherings where you were instructing young women not to do breast implants? Are you still sort of a minister? Um, you know, I used to have an organization back in the, in the late 90s. And I don't anymore, but I do advise women who find me on email and tell them my story about how painful it was. And they listen. And I return a lot of emails to women who find me. And, um, yeah, you know, people say, well, if I get a saline implant, I'll be fine. And I say, no, you won't, because the saline is surrounded by silicone. And so the silicone the water breaks down the silicone and you still have silicone in your body. Um, so well, yeah. I, must, I must tell you, Sally, I can't tell you how thrilled I am that I found you 
know, Donald Jeffries, one of my closest friends, wrote the forward right. to my book, Your Mother's Not a Virgin, says, you are the most interesting human being that he has ever run into. And he's knowing oh, wow. me. He says, hey, you're doing talking movies and there's no one better to talk to than Sally. And so, uh, you know, I hope we get to do this again. Have the tea ready before we go on the air so you don't okay. lose your voice. You were in the Valley of the Dolls, and you indeed, dear, are a doll. And thank you so much for being here. And God bless you. Thank you, John Barber. And please do it again anytime you want. Thanks, dear. And thank you all for watching. I just so enjoyed this. And I hope you did, too. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Wonderful talking movies. Bye now.